The first reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 28. You can find it in your church Bible on page 1028. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, This is the word of the Lord. I bet you are curious to know what it was that he was saying. An awkward way to leave off of a reading. So throughout this series of the four songs in Luke's gospel, from time to time I've been tempted to set up Zechariah, the priest, as kind of the bad guy and compare and contrast him to the others, to the angels, the shepherds, to Mary, and now to Simeon. I don't want to do that to Zechariah because he's a professional religious person, kind of like me. That would be kind of like shooting myself in the foot. But still, Simeon is different than Zechariah. Simeon, as far as we know, is not a priest. He's not a professional. He's just an average person who is shown extraordinary grace. Verse 25 tells us that he believed and he hoped and he lived with great expectation for a long time. He is a person to whom God has revealed in a special way by the Holy Spirit a secret. Verse 26, God's answer to all of his hopes and prayers and longings is going to be fulfilled in his lifetime. He's not going to die until God's rescuer comes. Now imagine if that was you. Imagine if God told you, you'll see the Savior before you die. I wonder if you'd go walking around the market in Jerusalem and maybe you'd see a family waiting in line at a stand uh, to buy some pomegranates or something. And you see a family, and there's a little child there. And you might think, that little kid tugging at his mom's cloak, maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the Messiah. You might also think to yourself, not just, have I just laid eyes on the Lord's salvation, and how would I even know it? But you might also think to yourself, how is this actually going to work? Will I just drop dead as soon as I see the Messiah? 
This might be troubling to you. It would be for me. How will I know that this person is the one? But Simeon actually is not preoccupied with these questions, with the hows, with the whys and the whens. Instead, verse 25, he spent his time doing justice and being a devout follower of the Lord God. He lived his everyday life with a consciousness that God was on the move. And when he met people on the street, therefore, when he washed the dishes after dinner, when he went into the temple, when he went about his everyday business, doing what people do, he did so with an eye for justice and mercy because his heart beat after the heart of his God. He wanted to love his neighbors as himself. He wanted to live a life of honesty before God. He wanted, after all, to see God. Now remember, back to Zechariah again, he was a priest on duty when he was chosen to go into the temple. And when he encountered God there in the form of the angel, he struggled to believe. But here's Simeon, and he's going about his daily business one day when suddenly he feels the Holy Spirit guiding him into the temple. Zechariah, on the one hand, wasn't ready to encounter God when he was working professionally in the temple. But Simeon was ready to encounter God when he was going about his everyday, normal, even boring routine. And when he saw the child Jesus in the temple, somehow he knew that's him, that's the one. He had seen finally what his eyes had longed to see for such a long time. In fact, he had seen with his eyes what all of the angels of heaven had longed to see, what every prophet and priest from Israel's history had longed to see, what every nation even longed to see. He had seen the joy of every longing heart with his own two eyes. All of his longings reached their fulfillment. Now, you and I don't have Simeon's promise, do we? Maybe if we had a promise that in our lifetime, Jesus would return, maybe that would help us live our Christian lives with a little more strength, do you think? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. It's hard to know. But we do have another promise. And by faith, we have seen even more than Simeon did before he died. What have we seen? And what is our promise? Well, the church has been reminding itself of what we've seen and of the promise to come for the last 2,000 years. And that is the refrain, Christ has died, Christ has risen. You know how it ends? Christ will come again. Simeon saw God's salvation in person as a baby. But what have you and I seen? 
we have seen God's salvation grow up, live a life of self-giving service to the world, live a life of complete devotion to his God and Heavenly Father, and then turn and give that life up for us and for our sins at the cross. We've seen the Father then raise him from the dead and sit him on David's throne to rule the world. And all that's left now is for him to come again. And so the question for us is, among others, will we live our lives with the eyes of our hearts wide open, on the lookout for this final promise of God to be fulfilled, for Jesus to come again? Will we be filled with the longing of Simeon to see God's salvation? As Simeon shows us, that's the only way to live. We continue on with the second reading, which is taken from verses 29 to 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So first we had Simeon's longing, and now we're going to look at Simeon's song itself, the longing and then the song. It's not just Simeon's life of faithful, holy waiting that is meant to be a challenge to us. Of course, it is. It's not just his longing that teaches us things about our Christian life. It is his song itself. Speaking of challenges from Simeon's song, I remember when I was sitting in the second row, which is really the first row in a, in a traditional church, of course, and it was Christmas Eve, and I was perhaps 14 years old, and I had grown up hearing the choir sing Simeon's song after the Lord's Supper. Every time we celebrated the Lord's Supper, the choir would lead us in singing now let your servant depart in peace according to your will, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And that song never meant much to me, even though I heard it dozens and dozens and dozens of times, until that Christmas Eve when I was sitting in the second row with my parents. Sitting in the second row, of course, means that you are first in line for communion. And so we then, on Christmas Eve in a packed house, we had a lot of time to wait and reflect on the Christmas story after we took communion and sat down. And so to kill the time, I decided it's a special night. I'll pick up the Pew Bible, and why don't I read Luke's account of the coming of Jesus? And I sat and I read it, and just about at the end of the communion time, I got to this section that Joshua has just read for us, the story of Simeon. And I suddenly realized what this song meant that I'd been hearing all my life. This man, Simeon, was ready to die because his heart was finally at peace. Now that he had seen with his own eyes God's salvation, he was ready to go. And in that moment, 
with the advent wreath and the candles and the choir and all the rest, I felt the challenge of Simeon's word deep in my gut. I thought to myself, am I the kind of person, I know I'm only 14, but am I the kind of person who's ready to die at any time and to die in perfect peace because with the eyes of my heart, I've seen the salvation of my God? Is God's salvation as real to me as it was for Simeon? And as that challenge came home to my heart that night, and as I watched everybody else come up and take communion on Christmas Eve, even as a 14-year-old boy, I I started getting tears coming down my eyes, and I quickly hid them so no one would see. And then, of course, as communion finished up, the choir led us in, guess what? Simeon's song. Now today I want to let this same challenge of 14-year-old me wash over my spirit once again, maybe even to wash over you as well. What is, after all, the challenge of this song? I think there's three small challenges here, and they're all connected. First challenge from Simeon. Simeon, verse 29, with his first words of his song, bows down before his sovereign Lord. Did you catch that? And then immediately he marks himself out as what kind of person? As a servant in the kingdom of this sovereign. The word that he uses is our word doulos, which we said maybe 12 weeks ago means bond slave. He's the king and I'm just the servant. And so Simeon challenges us. Those of us who are mostly, I think, citizens of democratic governments, right? He challenges us to step out of our democratic mindsets where everybody gets an equal say. And he calls us, at least for a moment, to remember that what our hearts most long for is not for equal power and equal voice, but actually for a sovereign king to come, someone who can actually bring about peace and full flourishing for the whole creation over which he rules. And Simeon found this great peace, he said, under God's kingship. And so he challenges us. Lay down your desire to be in charge of everything. And for once, be a glad and loyal servant in the kingdom of a sovereign like our God. So bow and acknowledge his sovereignty. Challenge number two from Simeon's song is actually the same challenge that he gives in his song and in his words to Mary and Joseph to rejoice in what God is doing, not just for us, but for all the nations. Not just for Israel, not just for the church, but for everyone, verses 31 and 32. Always remember, Simeon challenges us, that the promise to Abraham was that God's people would bring blessing to every nation on earth. And now Jesus is here to bring that blessing under the sovereignty of our King and our Lord. That means there's no room for the kind of national or personal pride that looks down on someone else or down on some other nation or people as being less worthy of God's grace. 
the gift of God's grace in Messiah Jesus cannot be hoarded and kept for oneself. It spoils when that is done. It can only be shared and offered freely. So don't be proud. But third, Simeon challenges us, remember that you are always recipients. Recipients. Receivers of a gift. This week I learned a nifty word, a nifty nickname for Simeon. Maybe you know that Mary traditionally is called Theotokos, which means the God-bearer, right? That's a special name for her. But Simeon has a nickname in the church too. He is called Theodokos, Theodokos. And that means God-receiver, God-receiver. And I think that is about the coolest nickname that you could ask for. I want to be known someday as a God receiver. I want to be known as someone who's known for for being ready at all times to receive every good and perfect gift that comes from my heavenly father. I want to be known in my old age like Simeon as someone who receives everything as what it really is, a gracious gift. Because I'm always receiving everything in and with the greatest and the most precious gift that could ever be given. And that is the person of the Lord Jesus himself. This was Simeon's disposition to be a recipient. And so naturally, when God said, here is my greatest gift, he said, I'll receive it with great joy. And so God help me and God help all of us to receive him as Simeon does. And maybe, maybe, God is calling you this morning to receive his son Jesus for the first time, like Simeon did all those years ago. Don't miss that opportunity. So the song sings to us, and it challenges us as Simeon sings, bow down before your king. Remember that he's not just your king, but the king of all the nations. And above all, stay humble so that you can keep on receiving God as he gives himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We finish our reading with the verses 33 to 35 of this chapter. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've seen Simeon's longing, we've heard his song, and now Simeon is going to pass to us the baton. The longing, the song, and finally the passing of the baton. After he sings his praise and his prayer to God, he then turns to Mary and Joseph. And by the time Mary and Joseph are done hearing, they have even more things, verse 33, to treasure up in their hearts. They've been collecting things to put in their hearts and keep there for all of these weeks. And here's a few more things. 
But in addition to wonders, their hearts actually now have some heavy things to carry as well. Why? Simeon says, verses 34 and 35, that Jesus is going to make some enemies. Imagine how Mary and Joseph's hearts must have sunk when they heard Simeon say this. When they heard that Jesus, Israel's true king, and their kid, after all, would be strongly opposed. That he'd be sharply criticized. That's the last thing you want as a parent, right? It's for your people to talk bad about your kid. And imagine how Mary must have felt when Simeon then looked straight at her and told her that a sword will pierce through her own soul on account of her boy, verse 35. Troubling stuff, right? She's the mom. She's a real believer, but this son of hers, Simeon tells her, is going to mess with her heart in some troubling ways. Later, he's going to be criticized, arrested, tried, and ultimately executed for carrying out his life's mission. Simeon is the lucky one. He gets to leave. He gets to depart. But Mary now, as Simeon passes him the, her the baton, Mary has to be the mom of a kid who's going to cut into every heart with his very words. And then ultimately reveal what's hidden in every heart in his own sacrificial death on the cross. And ultimately, if he hasn't already, this same Jesus will expose all of our hearts as well. In the Anglican tradition, there's a wonderful and at the same time utterly terrifying prayer that's often used, written by Thomas Cranmer. And it starts like this. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Dot, dot, dot. Simeon passes the baton to us and calls us to follow this Jesus. But he shows us, as he showed Mary and Joseph, that there is a cost, that it's not easy to follow Jesus. We have to undergo, after all, don't we, the ministry of Jesus' spirit. And this spirit cuts deep into our hearts and souls with conviction of sin. This spirit of God calls us over and over again to be willing to admit when we're wrong, to say that we're sorry, and to make things right if possible. This is hard stuff. And for those of us who, like Mary and Joseph, are parents, we have to give our children over, don't we, to the Lord's safekeeping. We have to render our children into our sovereign's care. We can't make them live the way that we want to. We can only guide them for a time, and then we can pray for them. And then if they dedicate themselves completely to the Lord's service, making God their king, their lives actually might be harder as a result, not easier than they would be otherwise. And all the more reasons then for our hearts 
as parents to ache. But as Simeon passes the baton to us, as he did to Mary and Joseph, he reminds us that even though true faith and faithfulness is a weight for us to carry, it's nevertheless a blessing, as he says in verse 33. Everything he tells them about their boy is not a curse, but a blessing. And so I want to challenge you to enter with me into the longing of Simeon. Your eyes have seen even more salvation than his eyes ever saw. I want to call you to long with me for his salvation to be completed in Jesus' return. Do you want Jesus to come back more than anything else? And I want to challenge you to accept the challenge of Simeon's song, to be a humble recipient of God as God gives himself to us in Jesus, and then to be ready and willing to give away that same joy of salvation without any reservations. And I want to challenge you to take the baton as Simeon passes it to you, to enjoy with him and with Mary and Joseph the thrill and the wonder of a life lived by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. And to do so even as you patiently and prayerfully endure the troubles that will often come into your own soul because you are following Jesus truly. And above all, I want to challenge all of us to wait in faithful anticipation with Simeon And as we wait, if Simeon could come up here and say one thing to us this morning, I think it would be this. It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would enter into all of Simeon's longings, that we would be able to sing at the end of our days his song to us, and that we would receive the baton that he passes down to us, running the race with perseverance, Despite the difficulties, help us to see and to experience the joys of our salvation, which through the eyes of our faith we have seen truly in the coming of our Lord Jesus. And please, send him back soon, for we need him now more than we ever have to make all things new by his power and by his grace. Help us to be his most loyal and humble servants and to rejoice with him as we wait in our salvation. We pray in Jesus, our Savior's name, amen.